Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I've got a bit of a different one for you today. I wanted to talk a bit more about uh, budgeting, personal finance, and the reason why is because I, well, you probably know if you follow me on Instagram or anything like that, but I often talk about things that I feel are uh, a little bit outside of your typical training and nutrition thing, because obviously health uh, constitutes more than just training and nutrition. And I feel that some of the concepts that I'm going to talk about uh, within this sort of personal finance and budgeting sphere actually relates quite a lot to health and nutrition as well, because it has to do with behaviors and goal setting and concepts like opportunity costs. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. Hopefully you enjoy it. I just want to preface this all by saying that I am not a financial advisor. I have no qualifications whatsoever. I'm going to talk about my own personal experiences in here. If it's helpful to you, then that's cool, but it's obviously not financial advice. So just take that with all a grain of salt. And just a quick plug for the membership site. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's called Fitness Fundamentals. LukeTullock.com slash membership will get you there so you can have a quick look at that. All right, let's get into it. I suppose the logical way of talking about this is to recap some of my own journey with the personal finance thing and see how we go with that because I think it'll give you a bit of context and maybe part of my journey will be helpful for you. So in my early 20s, I was very much into the Poliquin style of training. If you're not familiar with Charles Poliquin, he's a really famous uh, strength and conditioning coach, and he sort of got more into the functional medicine and nutrition side of things as time went on. And I bought into a lot of the things he was saying, and a lot of it revolved around supplementation uh, as a way to optimal health. And I really liked that. It was kind of like my hobby to research all of the different supplements and all the different compounds and work out what they did and what their mechanism was and all that type of thing. And so I spent quite a lot of money on supplements and I shuddered to think about how much I did actually spend on them now, especially because my opinion changed and I don't feel that supplements really offer that much benefit anymore. However, uh, with all of that said, at some point I kind of realized running my own business that I needed to work out what my ingoings were, what my outgoings were, and I needed to set myself up for a longer term outlook. Um, I sort of justified a lot of my spending to myself by saying, oh, look, I don't go out and drink very often. Uh, You know, if you live in Sydney, for example, I lived on the the North Shore of Sydney. And if you wanted to, say, go into the city for a night out, uh, what would happen is you'd go out and you're spending sort of eight to twelve dollars a drink. um, And then you're catching a cab home if you happen to miss the trains, which don't run 24 hours. And that would cost you probably 50 to $70. So it's pretty easy, and I'm sure this is true in many major cities, to spend you know $1 to $200 on a night out. And if you're doing that every week, obviously that adds up quite a lot. So I sort of justified my spending to myself by saying, look, I don't do that every week. Um, I tend not to eat out very much, and I make my own food, that kind of thing. So it's kind of justified that I'm going to spend you know 50 to $100 a week on supplements or something like that, which is, you know, ridiculous thinking back on it, but that's the way things were. And I think probably most of us do try and justify our purchases and our spending um, to ourselves with that kind of logic. Anyway, I sort of got over that phase of my life with 
purchasing supplements all the time, but moving into the inner west of Sydney where it's quite expensive to pay for rent and that kind of thing. Um, and simultaneously we started at a, uh, a new gym. So if you, if you don't know much about me, my wife and I both worked at a gym called Lift Performance Center in Redfern. And this was a gym that opened about maybe five years ago. We were the original staff that were there. I'm still training there. My wife's since moved on. But essentially what happened was we had a period between our old jobs and our new jobs at Lyft where we had no business. We were waiting on a DA approval to come through so that we could open the gym and commence trading. And that wasn't happening. And we kind of had no solid timeline on that. We had a bit of a rough idea, but there were a few months there where we essentially had minimal to no income. Uh, you know, so at that point, it was a, a case of trying to make what we did have coming in work as best as it possibly could for us. So this is where I started looking into budgeting and allocating my funds and prioritizing where my spending was going. At this point, it was when I came across the, I suppose, idea of financial independence. Now, uh, there's kind of a big movement that's happening, which is a sort of retire early kind of movement. And it's, I mean, it's been around for quite some time, but it's gained a lot more traction in recent years. The idea is basically that a lot of people don't really want to work a typical job for the rest of their life and then retire at say 65 or 70 and start to enjoy their life at that point. They want to be able to do it earlier, which makes perfect sense. Uh, there's a lot of people who are not happy in their jobs and that's the reason they want to do it. And there's many more people who just find the concept of, you know, spending a million dollars for a pretty basic sort of house in the modern world, which is happening in, in many major cities in, in first world countries across the world uh, to be a little bit unpalatable. And they're trying to find some kind of alternative. So I feel with the modern job market and the global financial crises, people sort of wanted some security that wasn't really much of a concern in previous generations where it was reasonably common to, you know, get a job and buy a house and to be able to work at that job and live fairly comfortably for decades. So people started thinking about having what has since been called fuck you money, where essentially, you know, if you get on the wrong side of your boss or your organization is being particularly, um, uncompromising with your work situation, you can basically say, well, fuck you, I've got enough money to last me while I look for another job. Or, you know, if I get made redundant, it's not going to be so much of an issue. And so this is the track that I started looking at. And it's not necessarily that I wanted to retire early. It's just that that concept of having financial freedom and being unchained from having to have a particular job at a particular workplace or uh, being unable to weather any kind of emergency was you know, obviously a concern for me. So I looked into this quite a lot more. Now, there are a bunch of bloggers out there that are quite popular in this space. Uh, it's very US centric. So I know a lot of my listeners are from the US, but most are from Australia. Um, and so much of the information you find on this is very US centric, because obviously, a lot of the the people who have written successful blogs come from there. So there's people uh, like Mr. Money Mustache is actually quite well known uh, internationally. And there's a bunch of others, I, I won't go through them all. I'm sure if you if you Google fire or financial independence, retirement, uh, early retirement, then that's what comes up. There are a growing number of international bloggers. And the reason why that matters is because of the way 
uh, employment, laws work, and saving for retirement works. Obviously, in Australia, we have the super, superannuation scheme, and that has implications. In the US, they obviously have a different way of doing things with Roth and, and all that kind of stuff. And taxation comes into it as well. I'll explain a little bit more how that all works a bit later, but I want to kind of stick to the budgeting piece now. So along all of this, you know, with investing and planning for retirement, you actually have to think about where your money is going, how much you're spending on all of that kind of stuff. Now I'm going to tie it into health and fitness at this point, because I think one of the major problems that we have in society today is financial stress and that trap of consumerism and feeling that you don't have money spare and that you're locked into living in a certain way in a certain job and having an outlook that is not particularly appealing for the next 30 to 40 years of your life. Obviously, a really large part of that is the cost of housing. Uh, but in general, I think that the consumerism has made it very difficult financially. And so people feel this financial stress and physiologically having stress is sort of indistinguishable. So if you have stress from training, if you have you know physical stress, if you have stress uh, that is emotional or relationship oriented, if you have stress that is financial oriented, physiologically, the difference there is not is not very big. It's, it's sort of perceived as the same thing. If you have this ongoing background financial stress, unfortunately, it has some major implications for your health on a variety of fronts. So it does very much tie into obviously mental health well-being, but it also ties into your physical well-being as well. So I think it's very important to stay on top of your, you know, I suppose, your financial position. And that has some flow on effects into how well you can train. It has flow on effects into your nutrition and your decision making, your sleep and your general happiness as well. So with that all said, the thing that kind of got me thinking a bit more about this is the idea of minimalism. And I don't want to kind of harp on about this too much and like be anti-consumerism or whatever, because I am someone who absolutely loves a gadget. I like the finer things in life. We spend an absurd amount of money going out to dinner sometimes. Um, you know, in Melbourne, we spent a ridiculous amount of money at this very nice restaurant. And for one meal, I think many people would find it completely unsavory to pay the amount of money we did for that. But the enjoyment we got out of it was, was large. You know, I like having... Um, the latest tech. I find that really exciting. Uh, you know, I have several guitars, so it's not lost on me that, look, I, I, I'm not the, the picture perfect minimalist, but to me, minimalism is not having the fewest amount of things possible. It's actually having things that bring you a high amount of value. It's having things that are going to last you a long time. It's having high quality goods. You know, to give you an example with clothing, I would rather buy um, a pair of boots that is say four or five hundred dollars that might last me for 20 years than something that is one or two hundred dollars that might not last me a couple of seasons that's sort of the way I like to think about it with the guitars I own I don't buy the absolute top end of things but I do buy good quality stuff it's stuff that will last me my lifetime that I could potentially pass on to my children it's not going to be something that I'm going to get sick of and try and sell again in a year or two so that's kind of the mindset. A lot of people think that it's about owning as few things as possible. And while decluttering and not buying things on a whim is kind of part of this movement of minimalism, um, to me, I don't think it's a case of minimizing how many actual items you have. There are some hobbies or some practices that give people great joy and great satisfaction in life. 
and they simply require a lot of equipment. So I think about people who are maybe artists or people who like cooking, for example. If you're a chef um, or a home chef and that's your passion, you might require a lot of different equipment to prepare different types of dishes. It doesn't mean that you have to get away with only using you know, one knife and two plates and one pot and that type of thing. It simply means that the stuff you do buy should reflect its value by giving you a great amount of joy and it should last you for as long as you need it to. The same thing if you're a painter, for example, if you if you require a bunch of different paints and, and paintbrushes and things like that, it's not a case of trying to get away with, you know, the smallest color palette you can necessarily. It's about making sure that the stuff you buy is of decent quality and you're only genuinely buying what you need to get a large amount of enjoyment out of your hobby. So that mindset of minimalism uh, and my definition of it there, where you're trying to maximize value for what you're doing, we could, I suppose, equate to the economic phrase of return on investment. And so whenever I am purchasing something or engaging in an activity, I'm trying to think about the return on investment. And to me, that ties in with the concept of opportunity cost as well. If you spend effort and resources on a particular activity or buying a particular item or something like that, you are foregoing the opportunity to spend that money or that time or that effort on another activity. So to give you an example with training, if you were to spend an extra hour in the gym, how much return would you get for that? And where could you have spent that extra hour elsewhere to perhaps get a greater return? To me, that's a minimalist approach because you're trying to maximize return on investment and you're trying to maximize the amount of enjoyment you get out of life. In my own situation, I've spoken before about how I feel that after many years of training and you know working very, very hard, I've built a physique that I'm quite proud of. And I've said it several times before, and I hope I don't sound arrogant when I say this, but I genuinely feel personally that I am in better shape than you know, 95% of people that you'll find on the street. I think most people uh, out there will think that I'm in good shape, that I look healthy, and I have a lot more muscle than the average person. To me, I'm quite satisfied with that, and to add an extra few kilos of muscle onto my frame at this point would require a large amount of effort. So I typically train in the gym with weights for about four to five hours a week. So it's not very long at all. For me to significantly put on a lot more muscle mass, I think that amount of training would have to increase by at least 50%. And the amount of effort would have to increase, obviously. And the amount of attention I pay to some of the minutiae of training and nutrition would have to increase as well. I feel that I would have to be a bit more diligent with my nutrition. I would have to be more diligent with things that, that are sort of lower on the priority order, like nutrient timing and things of that nature. And I feel that the return that I get for that investment of time and effort is not great. You know, it might be an extra, you know, kilo or two of muscle. It might be being a little bit more jacked or a little bit leaner. And it might be sort of noticeable to me, but it's certainly not noticeable to other people. And not that I'm relying on other people's opinions, but I just don't get very much for my extra effort. That is basically what I'm trying to say. And so for me, that extra effort is better spent in other areas of my life where I could get a greater return or I could get better at something else. I would rather spend that time and effort focusing on my business or focusing on my guitar playing 
or focusing on spending time with my wife or even just walking around outside where that's still, I suppose, exercise, but I get a much better return in terms of being out in the sun, the mental health benefits of being out of a gym. To me, that's far better use of my time and a better return on investment of that time and effort. Now, I want to just iterate at this point that that is a very personal thing. I don't begrudge people who spend 10 to 15 hours a week in the gym training to improve themselves anything. And that's totally fine. If you would prefer to do that, and if that's your passion and you feel like you get a good return out of that, then by all means, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. But you do have to stop and think about it. I think too many people are kind of on autopilot and they don't really think about where they're directing their time and effort and what return they're getting from it. So always think about what is my return on this investment of time and effort as well as money? And what could I be doing elsewhere that might get me a better return? What's the opportunity cost of being here? Now, to tie this back into budgeting and personal finance, I found that preparing a budget really made me think about this a lot more. It helped me prioritize my life a lot better. If you, well, I'll give you some examples. My wife and I definitely prioritize something like traveling quite a lot. She's Swedish and so her family's in Sweden and we'd like to see them at least every year if we can, well, at least every two years, but we try to go every year if we can or they will come out to us. Now that's obviously when you're running your own business, the expense of that is quite large because not only are you paying for flights and that type of thing for two people, but you're spending time away from your business and to fly for a minimum of 24, 25 hours to get to Europe, you know, it, it means that when we're there, we'd like to take several weeks instead of, you know, maybe 10 days or two weeks. You kind of want to be there for three weeks uh, or three and a half even uh, just to make sure that we're spending time with family and we're making that massive trip worthwhile. And that has a significant cost uh, when you're not seeing clients for that amount of time. So it's quite a major cost for us, but I think it's very much worth it. And so what I've done in the budget is that we try and prioritize that. It means that I would prefer to put my money into a travel category and budget that money for that than to spend more money on clothes or to spend more money on going out um, or to spend more money on supplements and things like that. It helped me sort out my priorities and realize, hey, this actually matters quite a lot to me. This gives me much more happiness than buying a ton of supplements or buying a ton of clothes. It means way more. And so I'm going to direct some of my resources towards that instead. And that sort of went across the board. You know, how much are you willing to spend on going out every week? I think a lot of people would be surprised how much they spend on Uber Eats or Menulog or Deliveroo uh, each month. I think it would probably blow a lot of people's minds. I know I spend quite a lot on that, but I'm happy to prioritize it to a certain extent um, because we do enjoy food. It's one of my sort of great joys in life. You know, so it just helps you figure out what matters to you and then prioritize things. And that same concept does carry across into health and fitness, like I like I mentioned. Uh, for some people, you know, having abs and being able to walk out on the beach and feel that confidence is worth a lot. It's worth a lot of effort. And for other people, you know, it might not be worth foregoing social events or having to plan out their meals meticulously or having to pay for a coach or go to the gym four times a week. It may not be worth that for you. For many people, it is worth it. And if it's clear to you that it is worth it to get those abs on the beach in summer, then by all means, you should pursue that. But I think for many people, they kind of 
don't really stop and think like, hey, do I actually care that much about this? Maybe I want to prioritize something else first. So those concepts of prioritization go across from the personal finance into the health and fitness space as well. Now, the other aspect of it that's probably more important from a mental health standpoint and from relieving that financial pressure that I spoke about earlier is the emergency fund or the, I suppose I'll call it an emergency fund, but it's budgeting things that are, that are essential. So things like housing and groceries, but also medical. Um, in Australia, we have a private healthcare system alongside our public healthcare system, and they penalize you in your tax if you don't take up private health insurance for every year after you turn 31. Now, you can do the calculations and see how much you would actually get back from your private health care versus how much you spend and that kind of thing. And I've done those calculations and I feel that for us at the moment, it's actually not worth us having a private health care fund. If we took the money that we would spend on the private health care and simply budgeted it into a, a pool, a, an emergency fund for medical stuff, we actually end up coming out ahead. And so that's what we do now. I've got several thousand dollars sitting there for whenever we need to go to the dentist, whenever we have to go to a specialist, whenever there's an emergency, we've got that money sitting there ready to go. And I'm not dependent on that private healthcare where I actually don't feel I get very much for my money. So that's a that's an example as well of the, the emergency fund uh, concept. No longer if the car breaks down or if we have to do repairs on the house or if my computer dies or anything like that, do we have to stress about that? It's kind of covered. The nice thing about budgeting that stuff in advance is that when it does come time to buy a new computer, to you know pay for flights when you're going away, to go to the dentist, you don't put it off anymore. It's kind of like the money is just magically there. It's been sitting there waiting for you to use it. And it almost feels like you're getting those things for nothing because it's already been budgeted for. Now, obviously, it takes some time to build up that budget. It's not something that you're going to be able to build a budget for every sort of category immediately. But I think getting started is obviously the first step and it might take a while, but you'll get into a position where that's something that you can do quite comfortably. First thing I'd always recommend to do is to pay down debt and then move on to other things that way. One of the strategies that I've used is that as soon as I buy a new item that I know I'm going to have to replace at some point in the future, so it might be any white good or it might be a computer or a phone, I start budgeting immediately for when I think it might run out uh, of its lifespan. So to give you an example, if I buy a new computer and it might cost me two or three thousand, then what I'll do is I'll immediately start budgeting for when I need to get the next one. So if I sort of figure that a lifespan might be three to five years on that thing, if I start budgeting immediately for 15 to $20 a week, then by the time the life runs out on my current thing that I just bought, then I should have enough in the budget to afford a new one. And that makes it much easier to handle than trying to budget 50 to $100 a week. Obviously, that's quite a significant amount of money for most people. And if you're trying to spread that across multiple categories, then that can be quite difficult to do. But if you have the foresight of doing it in advance for very small amounts, then it can really add up and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, cool, I've got three grand spare for a new laptop in case this one dies at any time in the near future. So that's the power of relieving financial stress in those typically financially stressful situations. You know, you can think of a million things. It could be things like, you know, your pet getting sick or like I said, having a, a sports injury and you have to get surgery or 
anything of that nature. If you have to unexpectedly take some time off work, having a bit of a buffer there and budgeting for it is very, very important. And you have no idea the peace of mind that gives you and uh, how much freer uh, you feel and less stress you feel when that is in place. So I always recommend to people that, you know, when budgeting, if you can think of those things and kind of allocate money to those things first and have a bit of an emergency fund built up, then the, the amount of sort of background stress that you feel dissipates immensely. Now, just to tie this into the financial independence stuff I spoke about before, when you start stretching that budgeting concept out further beyond an emergency fund and those immediate sort of goals of knocking down debt and making sure you've got enough money for any emergencies, and you start to look at it on a larger scale, then it kind of helps you again, prioritize and shape how you want to live your life. So given that I know exactly how much we're spending each month and how much we're likely to make and all that kind of stuff, we can kind of project out like, okay, uh, what's going to be the best place for us to, or the best area for us to live? What's going to be our retirement plans? Uh, what are we going to do there? How much can we travel? Obviously we run our own business, so we have to think about when we can have kids and how much time we can spend off work doing that. Uh, so it starts to extend out and you start to, I suppose, prioritize and shape big events in your life that way as well, which is to me quite an important thing. Um, instead of kind of bumbling along until it's like, oh, okay, I've hit 65 or 70 now. Like, I hope I have enough in the bank so that I'm, I'm not going to struggle. I'm not going to be below the poverty line or whatever when I retire. So planning for that in advance and the earlier you can do it, I mean, it's never too late, but the earlier you can do it, the more things like compounding interest and that kind of thing can kind of keep you afloat, the better you can steer the ship. And I suppose the more direction you feel like you have in life, because there's a bit of a plan in place. Okay, so I've kind of just rambled here. This is basically all off the top of my head as I've been going along. So hopefully it kind of all makes sense, but I'll just summarize. So I found that the concept of budgeting has helped me to prioritize things in my life and obviously things in the budget as well. It's helped me work out the opportunity cost of not only where I spend my money, but where I spend my time and effort in my life and my training, my nutrition. It's helped me work out what the return on investment is in those various areas as well. And by doing all of that, it's mitigated a significant area of stress in my life. So I, I'm much clearer on the direction of my life and what I want out of life now. And I'm much clearer about where my money goes and what my priorities are with my money. So it's mitigated both financial stress and I suppose just that general as existential stress that we all face of, you know, what am I doing here and what are my priorities and my goals in life? So it's something that is seemingly innocuous and pretty basic as budgeting, but it's, it's really made a profound impact on how I live my life. So with that all said, some of the practical side of things, how do I actually do it? Well, I found that some of the resources that have been very helpful for me are the financial independence subreddits on Reddit. Uh, obviously, like I said, it's very uh, US focused. It's very focused on early retirement. It might not apply to your exact situation. It certainly most people don't work the kind of job that I do. So the situations are quite different, but it does give a lot of food for thought and allows you to kind of pick and choose your own path through there. The budgeting software that I use is YNAB or You Need a Budget. I think it is suits my needs quite well. Pretty simple, um, but again, allows me to just categorize stuff. And even as a small business owner, it's actually pretty helpful to just manage some of those expenses alongside my accounting software as well. 
so those are some of the resources that I use personally. To get started on a lot of this stuff, there is a book called The Barefoot Investor, and I'm sure a lot of people who are a little bit more savvy with finance might sort of snicker to themselves a little bit around The Barefoot Investor because it's a little bit of a trope uh, here in Australia, but it's actually very helpful in explaining a lot of this, and it just gives quite direct advice. So if you find financial stuff confusing or you don't necessarily have the time to spend um, researching it and delineating exactly what's going to suit you best, then I think some of the basic advice in that is pretty good. Um, it basically just gives you some advice around superannuation, around how to manage incoming cash. And I think for a lot of people, those concepts make it much easier just to have a bit of a handle on their personal finance. So that's a good resource as well. I'll just leave you with a bit of advice. Just look out for some of those blogs out there because a lot of those guys uh, seemingly have this incredible lifestyle from having retired early and all this kind of thing. But the more popular blogs tend to actually make a fair bit of income for the people who are running them. So they're not exactly uh, you know, unemployed drinking pina coladas all day on a beach. Um, and a lot of people also tend to run at a, a pretty low cost of living to try and make this work. So the, to me, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are basically trying to accumulate like 500k as quickly as they can so that they can move to Guatemala or something like that and just live as cheaply as possible. And I think you have to kind of be aware that that's probably not realistic for most people and it's it's a bit of an idyllic thing. You know, to me, I think that work is something that will be a part of my life forever because I am doing something that I enjoy and obviously being self-employed, it's one of those things where I can kind of just keep it rolling on my own terms. But you obviously have to find something that works for you. Anyway, that's been a massive ramble. Um, I hope that all makes sense and it's not too incoherent. I hope it all kind of comes together a little bit for you. But it's just some of those concepts that I find are really helpful across not only the finance side of things, but also the health and fitness side of things. And like I said, you know, that level of stress and financial health is actually a really major part in our overall well-being. So I hope that's been a bit useful. I know it's a little bit left field. The next podcast, I'll definitely keep it a bit more fitness related. Uh, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed. Let me know what you think. So once again, uh, check out the membership site if you are interested in that kind of stuff. Fitness Fundamentals, www.lukatalek.com slash membership. It'll be in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody. Um, that would help me out quite a lot. And any ratings you can give would be very much appreciated. Thanks very much for listening and I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you.